0: to this Palm Sunday service. And it is a little bit unique in that we celebrate the Lord's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. This was, or at least it should have been, the Lord's crowning day. But we're going to find out a little different. In Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 28, the Word of God says, when he had said this, that is, when he had said that the Son of Man had come to seek and save that which was lost, when he said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass that when he drew near to Bethpage in Bethany, at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, whereas as you enter you will find a cult tide on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, uh, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to them, Behold, the Lord has need of it. And some of those were sent, went their way, and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has needed him. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice. And to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd saying, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered them and said, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are worthy of praise. That you are worthy to be rejoiced. And Lord, if we don't do our job, the stones will do it for us. We don't want that any more than you do. And we thank you for giving us the privilege of celebrating you in Jesus' name and all God's people said. So as you see, instead of this day being the crowning day for the Lord, Jesus Christ, it was a day where the religious leaders basically were hostile toward him. They were basically rejecting him as the savior of this world and in the account this account of the lord's triumphal entry our attention is first drawn to the coming of christ consider this as jesus comes over the crest of the mount of olives the city of jerusalem is unfolded before him and he would have seen enormous crowds in the neighborhood of two to three million people as he looked over the peak of Mount Olive. On this first Palm Sunday, Jesus began his final entry into Jerusalem to present himself to that nation as their Messiah and the Savior of the world. And by doing so, it was like he took a match and threw it into a room full of diamonds. For five days later, Jesus would be dead. But can I tell you that the next time he comes, he's going to come as the conqueror of evil and the judge of sin. He begins by telling us about the coming of the Lord. Then he moves on to tell us then about the cult of Christ. Let's reread that again in verse 30. For the Lord told his disciples, Go into the village opposite you, whereas you will enter and find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here to me. And if anyone asks you, Why are you loosing it? Thus you'll say to him, Why? Because the Lord has need of it. Why? Because the Lord needs it. So those who were sent went on their way found it just like he had told them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owner said to them, Why are you losing this colt? And they said, The Lord needs it. The Lord has need of it. And they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on that colt, and then they set Jesus on the colt. So the Lord sent two disciples to secure this animal, to bring this animal to the Lord. But oddly enough, This coat of a donkey is a lot like you and me. Now, I'm not calling any of you (laughs) names. But think of this. We, too. You literally They decide to sit on the sidelines. They get redeemed. They get released. But then they decide that they want to get served instead of serving. I want to tell you, friends, under no uncertain terms, and I'm just going to throw it out there, that's sin. It's sin. And That was never meant to be part of Jesus' plan for you to sit down and be served. Instead, it's part of Jesus' plan for you to be about the business of serving. Serving him and serving others. But that's not all. This redeemed, newly released animal that was brought to Jesus also had to be ruled. Had to be ruled. This cult had not been redeemed and been released to go and kick up its heels and You and I are a lot like this, don't you? We've been redeemed, bought with a price. We've been released, released from the bondage of our sin, but we're also ruled. We're ruled. We intentionally surrender to the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because we want Him glorified. We want everybody to see Him. We want the multitudes to see Jesus as we lift Him up. That donkey had one supreme task. One task. And that was to lift up Jesus Christ. To lift up Jesus Christ so that everybody could see him. Is that not a beautiful picture of what Christians are supposed to do? Think about it. We should live our lives lifting up Jesus. Lifting up Jesus where everybody can see him. And get this. Because of what those disciples did, the multitudes saw Jesus. Because of what those two disciples did, the multitudes saw Jesus lifted up. As king, messiah, and savior. And lifted him up and he declared, I am the king. So then Luke begins to tell us about the chorus for Christ. Let's read that again in verse 36. And as he went, as Jesus went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. I believe that the multitudes immediately put two and two together. Let me explain. They saw Jesus lifted up on this cult, and they immediately remembered about their Jewish teachings when they were children. They immediately remembered what that prophet Zechariah said about the coming king. Listen to what Zechariah said in Zechariah 9:9. He said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and has salvation for you. Lowly and riding on a donkey. A colt, a foal of a donkey. They remembered what Zechariah said, and man, did they ever obey him. They rejoiced. They sang out with loud voices, rejoicing in the name of the Lord. What did they do? First thing they did is they rolled out the red carpet. Amen. When you roll out the red carpet for somebody, that means you're welcoming them. And you're giving great honor to them. So they rolled out the red carpet for the king, spread out their clothes on the ground. And other translations and other accounts tell us that many would lay down palm leaves which is uh, something that somebody would do for a king as he came riding on the colt of a donkey. Then after rolling out the red carpet for the king, as he got closer to the bottom of Mount Olive, uh, the multitudes began to recognize Jesus as the promised king from God. And they began to tell everyone about it, rejoicing and shouting. The whole multitude began shouting with joy. They shouted Psalm 118. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in all the kingdom. Man, would it not be awesome if we rejoiced in our salvation this way? Would it not be awesome if we shout at the top of our voices, we praise you, O God, and we're so thankful for saving us? What's our problem? Why do we not shout out With loud voices rejoicing in what God has done in our lives. Let me tell you. If you can't find the the gumption to rejoice in your salvation here on earth. You're going to have a real problem when you get to heaven. Because in heaven, we've already been learning in our study in Revelation. There's going to be a whole lot of rejoicing going on up there. There's going to be a whole lot of singing with loud voices up there. And the whole multitude is going to be singing. You don't look like you believe me. (laughs) Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. John writes, after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude. A great multitude which no one could number. Of all the nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white rugs, and get this, with palm branches in their hand. Amen. And crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God. You know what they said? They said, amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Friends, I'm telling you, if you've got a problem rejoicing in your salvation here, you're going to have a big problem up there. Amen. Let us rejoice in the God of our salvation. So, this whole multitude, two to three million people, were rejoicing, praising Jesus as their king. But isn't it amazing that one day here they're praising and rejoicing in the coming king, but in one week's time. In one week's time, when they realize that Jesus has got zero desire to be a political leader. When they realize that Jesus has got zero desire to be some ruler of earth. Rather, he wants to be the savior of their eternal souls. That rejoicing number of people turned against him. It saddens me. And you've seen it too. For there to have been believers so on fire for the Lord They sing praises to His name and they rejoice in their salvation and then they turn away from the Lord. They don't want much to do with God's family anymore. They'd rather go live in the world and claim that they were saved. They're not doing anything that this great multitude did. One day they're rejoicing in the coming king when he turns out not to be what they expected. You know what they do? They just turn their back on him. So many people do the same thing today. Finally, Luke points out the critics of Christ. In verse 39, some of the Pharisees called to the Lord from the crowd saying, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. The religious leaders thought the crowd was being sacrilegious and ungodly. They thought that if anybody should be the one to declare a coming king, it should be them, the rulers. They didn't want anybody challenging their authority. So what do they do? They said, Jesus... Keep your people quiet. Keep your people quiet. But what did Jesus say? If my people quit joyfully praising God for me, what's going to happen? What's going to happen if my people quit joyfully praising God? The rocks are going to cry out. I think that verse 40 is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. One translation reads it this way. If they kept quiet, stones alongside the road are going to burst into tears. Another translation says it this way. If my followers keep quiet, the stones will shout praises for them. My question to you today is, are you going to let a rock do your job? Are you going to let a rock do your job? We don't want Jesus to have to resort to using stones for praise, do we? No, we don't. That's our job. And it's more than a job. It's a privilege to praise the Lord. I mean, think about it this way. Let me try to make it personal for you. What if your company came to you and told you they were going to train a monkey to do your job? Or worse yet, what if your company came to you and said, you know, uh, all you are around here really is just dead weight. We're going to hire a bunch of rocks to do your job. They'll be cheaper and easier to deal with. Would you be upset? Friends, if we're not doing our job, if we're not doing the job of praising the Lord, that's exactly what's going to happen. The rocks will cry out. Rocks are going to take our place. But I wondered If the rocks began crying out praises to God, what in the world would they say? What would a rock say to praise God? And then I remembered in Exodus chapter 17 that Moses tapped on a rock And water came out for his people. Praise God for providing the needs of your people. And then in Exodus chapter 34, God gave his Ten Commandments on tablets made of stone. We praise you, O God, for giving your people direction. In 1 Samuel 17, through the power of God, David took down a huge giant with one small Praise God. Praise God for taking down the giants in our lives when we obey the Lord. Nehemiah chapter 4, the whole city of Jerusalem was rebuilt with large stones. Praise you God for rebuilding my life when my sin tears it down. Luke chapter 2, the manger of the Lord Jesus was made out of a hollowed out rock. You know what that rock said? <laughs> Praise you, God, for letting me hold the baby Jesus. Matthew chapter 4, Satan tempted Jesus saying, Turn these rocks into bread. Praise the Lord for a sinless son of God. John chapter 8, there was a woman caught in the act of adultery, and she was about to be stoned, and Jesus said, Whoever of you is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Praise the Lord for saving us from our sin. Praise the Lord for giving us another chance. Amen. And then in Mark 16 there was something that was covering the tomb of Jesus. Does anybody remember what that was? It was a big old rock. A rock. Covering the tomb where Jesus lay. Oh, Father, I praise you that the grave couldn't hold him. I praise you, Lord, that death could not deal with him. I praise you that death couldn't defeat him. And that because of his victory, your people have an eternal hope. Oh, praise God. That's what a rock would say. Friend, you've got so much to be thankful for. So much to rejoice. Don't let a rock do your job. Rejoice. Rejoice. Again, I say, rejoice. I mean, if these are the ways that a rock would praise God, would you do any less? Rejoice. Do you know what people say to themselves when they hear you rejoice in the Lord out loud? You know what they say to themselves? They say, God is real to her. God's doing a supernatural work in that guy. So your rejoicing is a testimony. Your rejoicing is a witness. Don't let a rock do your job. Rejoice. Just think about it. If you fail to obey if you fail to praise God, if you fail to rejoice in Jesus as your King, who will? this little note someone or something is going to worship God someone or something is going to worship God will it be you I'm praying it's you you have so many reasons to praise the Lord. if you don't do it Who will? Now as our deacons come forward to prepare the Lord's Supper, I want to remind you about what happened just a few days after the event that I told you about this morning.
1: Just a few days
0: after he entered into Jerusalem, your Jesus, say my Jesus, Your Jesus was tried and crucified. And that last week that he lived was so confusing. Think about this. There there was praise and rejoicing one day, and there was teaching and encouragement the next day. There was trials and lies, That we as believers, as we as closest to him, do this in remembrance of him. You see, it's not just a privilege that you get to do this. It's also a responsibility. And the scriptures tell us that before we partake of a, a meal like this, that we examine ourselves first. Let's just pray and condition our hearts. Invite the Lord Jesus to search us, to try us, and to point out anything that we need to get rid of before we honor the Lord this way. us pray, right. Father God, Lord Jesus, O Holy Spirit of God, You who knows more about us than we know of ourselves, we as a church family invite you into our hearts, into our lives, and we humbly ask you to search us, to try us and show us that there's any way that we're not honoring you. Or perhaps we're not rejoicing like we should. Perhaps we're not testifying through our rejoicing like we should. Father, if that's the case, we pray you point it out. That you'd show us any sin that exists in our life so that, Lord, we would be able to honor you in everything we do and everything we say. Lord, without you, we can't do it. And before we partake of this Lord's Supper Meal, Father, we just want. It. To have examined ourselves and confessed any unconfessed sin, the Lord, we want to be clean. We want to be pure before we do this. The Lord bless us and purge the sin from our lives, so that we can honor You as is fitting for a king. In Jesus' name, and all God's people's Amen. If we his people don't praise him, who will? If we, his people, don't remember him, who will? In Luke chapter 22, in verse 14, God's word tells us that when the hour had come, Jesus